4: Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already, ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that's at The Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yass, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest this afternoon, or this evening, rather, is Mark Cartwright. Good evening, Mark. How are you, man?
3: I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you doing?
4: Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, just, Mark, just, you know, really, really briefly before we get into the thick of things, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, doing, and we can kind of tailor from there.
3: Okay, um, I'm currently the sporting director of the United Soccer League in America. Um, I, I came here via Stoke City, where I was the technical director for seven years. Prior to that, I'd been a, an agent and a coach and a player, so uh, sort of done the whole works really. Um, I I started you know, I, did, I did a YTS when I was 16 at, at York City and. And then ended up doing a scholarship out in America, so I've I've kept quite a lot of links to the states from that period. Um, came back from there, turned pro, had a 10, 11 year career, sort of mainly League One, League Two, finished in the Conference um, with Chris Wilders, Halifax Town. Chris has come a long way since then, that's for sure. Uh, and then you know built built my way back up, really.
4: Awesome. You know, you, and typically, a lot of the people I do speak to on the podcast tend to be coaches or. People heavily involved within the athlete and talent development side of things. Now, obviously, you, you know you touched on there. You had a, you had experience working as a coach. Um, maybe just shed a bit of insight around what those experiences were, and, and kind of we can move into a, a, a little bit of a journey around how you've transitioned from being a coach and working, you know, going into the technical director space.
3: Sure. Um, listen, when, when you finish playing football, th- there's a there's an element of not really knowing what it is you want to do. Um, you can plan as much as you want, but you still, you know, you're, you're lost a little bit, you know, unless you have absolute clarity, you, you are lost and you, you try all sorts of different avenues. And, and I, uh, I, I did the goalkeeper coaching up at, at Livingston uh, for a while when they were in the Scottish Prem. Um, enjoyed that time. Thought it was absolutely great. Had the option to stay on for another year. Uh but unfortunately there was a there was a shift in the ownership. Um the manager that I was working with, John Robertson, left and it it just didn't feel like the right thing to do. So I I came away from that. Um I'd I'd sort of then dropped into non-league uh by default, really, just in the the local town where I lived. They were probably probably a couple of leagues below the conference, club called League Town um carried on coaching there became the manager there had a very successful period and then again uh <laughs> the tax man then started getting involved in, in local clubs and demanding to see things and it it took a lot of the budget away and it, it, again it, it sort of pushed me away from that a little bit so you know I, I wanted to then look at other areas of where I could use my skill set you know how to get in you know, Pathways and succession planning and building things and and so I sort of moved away from the coaching, did the agency. You know, with the agency, you're looking at players and you're looking how do they develop, mm-hmm. how far can they go, what's the pathway to doing that? Do they need to do loans? Do they need to work harder? That sort of stuff.
4: Yeah, just on that, then you know, just to take you back a few a few moments. You know, you talked there about not really know what it is that you want to do when eventually you know your playing career comes to an end. I'm sure that's a conundrum. I- majority of players go through um I guess maybe just shed a bit of insight on that because I think there's probably a lot of players out there that do experience that um and I think especially now you know we've you know we've all heard the stats in terms of the number of youth players that come through the system and actually end up having a career in the game whether that be as players or not but you know to think that you as an adult you know, you've been playing for a number of years. Never mind the, the 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 work that's gone on as a youth player, working up to that, but eventually getting to that point. And you know, let's just say for argument's sake, you know, you have a ten or twelve a year career as an example, and you're still not too sure what you want to do after that. Maybe because it's never been asked of you. But then, that's someone who you'd consider to be at a mature stage in their life. Mm-hmm. Maybe just shed a bit of light on just how important it is to you know for us to really take into consideration that you might get players at 15, 16, 17 who have been in the academy systems or youth systems at clubs from such a young age, all of a sudden get that rug pulled from under their under their legs and the impacts or the potential impacts that that could have on the mental state of someone like that—is that, is that if, if you get where I'm going with it.
3: Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely a fair point. And I think it is. So, you know, I think I must have been maybe 32 when I, when I finished. Um, like you say, most people have started their career pathway at 18 and in, in, in a normal job and by the time they get to 32 they're, they're quite a way along the, their career pathway whether that becoming an executive or whatever it is um whereas you know a footballer unless you've been right at the top end where you've been earning big big money you know you, you suddenly drop off a cliff and there's what do you do you know you you can put your cv out there you know i had done a, a scholarship in america so i had an education behind me but then my CV just said, I played football. You know, yes, you can talk about leadership skills by being the PFA representative and, and going through all that. But ultimately, you, you're still looking for roles that you don't know what they are or whether you fit them or what you do. And, and it can, you, you lose, um, I guess, it's akin to losing part of your identity. You know, you've you've gone from being a player to being an ex-player, a bit of a and Nobody to maybe apart from maybe the clubs that you played for, but that doesn't you know keep the roof over your head or anything else. So there's the loss of identity, there's a loss of the adrenaline that comes with playing football, the adulation that you get from the fans. So I guess it can be a dark place to a lot of people, um, unless you can really sort of turn it around into a positive case of okay, the, that chapter with the book's shut now, where do we go next? And, and I think, um it can be it could be difficult times for sure.
4: Just just on that then, you know, obviously things have moved on us quite a lot since obviously you were a player. Um maybe just talk about some of the support networks that were across you know in place to kind of help players nowadays. And obviously you talk about your, you know, you just briefly about to touch on the fact that you, you know, you moved into agency work and how much of that stuff was then kind of relied upon yourself to kind of support players with that kind of you know, those external supporting networks, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. So, I mean, you have clubs now themselves do a fantastic job of supporting players. um, And that's from the academies all the way through to the first team. Um, Agents do a fantastic job of supporting the players now. You know, I I looked upon it um, in in using my experiences I'd had as a player um, to help guide the players that I was looking after. So, um, you know, you want honesty, you want to be there in the, you know, if they're injured talk about you know how to get through the injury how to keep the mental strength up and, um but you know in terms of all that you know the the landscape has changed dramatically um and i think players themselves also from when i played you know you you could not show signs of weakness and you know it was frowned upon if you were you know if if you came out and said oh i'm having a bad day or i'm i'm not you know feeling great in my head or you know that that would be completely been frowned upon, and you would be classed as mentally weak. I think that the landscape has now completely changed to acknowledge the fact that, you know, mentally, you know, health there, there can be health issues, and, and people need to be able to talk through these issues to continue to perform at a top level. So I think when we look at the structures now, they are a million times better than than they used to be, certainly when I played, um, and I think they'll only get continue getting better as we we learn more and more about the brain and, and these mental health issues that can affect people.
4: So just on that then, you know, you talked there about, you know, what I hear you say is that, you know, it's important to have those honest and open support networks, um, whether you're a coach or an athlete, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. However, um, I guess the question that comes to me is, how important is it that the that support is coming directly from the coaches? Um, how important is it that maybe within a, a, a team of coaches or staffing structures that, that there is different people that the coach, players can go to or that actually are more proactive about finding that information, out, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, no, it's perfect. I think in in this current environment where um, there, it's a lot more diverse than it used to be, so there's different cultures, different personalities, so on and so forth. And I think with all those... Sorts of personality profiles that you can now see—it's—it's it's massively important that whether it be a coach, whether it be a physio, whether it's a sports psychologist, that these or even the academy director or you know that they, they have somewhere to go. And I think obviously, uh, the bigger the club, the more options you've got of finding that right fit. Some people wouldn't find it comfortable going and speaking to the head coach about, you know, they've got problems at home or they've got problems somewhere else, but they may find it comfortable speaking to the physio or the sports psychologist. So, you know, it's it's down to that individual to find that person that is available to talk to them. And they'll all, they'll all be available because ultimately every club, everybody in that club wants the players to be able to perform at the highest level to either, you know, move on or keep the team at a certain level. And, and to do that, they need to be able to talk to
4: people. I definitely. So, you know, if I'm coming back to yourself now, then obviously, you, you know, you moved into the agency. What was it about the agency side of stuff that kind of really had you thinking, yeah, do you know what? I want to try a bit of that. And then obviously you've moved away from that. So, you know, talk us through the transition into and out of that.
3: So, I, I again, you know, um, I, I finished playing, did the coaching, but I, I would have players I played for ringing me up, asking me for advice on a, on the contract. or what should they ask for? What should they do? And it, um, and it just sort of, it got me to the point where I thought, well, why don't I just do this as a career? You know, let, let's try and build it. Um, I knew I wasn't going to go, because I've not played in the Premier League. I didn't have those connections. I wasn't going to go and get a Premier League player. So I spent a lot of time building my network in Europe and around the world uh, and getting a good sort of, good bunch of people that I trusted in place that I could then bring a player in. Um, but what what really drew me to it if I'm honest, was the, how do you, do, how, you know, getting a player from, you know, League Two to the Championship or the Premier League, how does that, how do you do it? How do you make them better? How do you help them get better? Whether that's, um, you know, talking to them about working a bit harder, you know, but you've played the game as well. So as you're watching them play their game, you can see little aspects of the game that need improving. And it's like going back to the, the honest conversation, being able to have that honest conversation, say, look, you're not working hard enough or you're not doing this correctly, or, you know, look, I'm sorry, but this is probably the highest you're going to go. And how do you want to work it? How do we maximise the length of time you've got in this career? Um, so it's all about the planning and succession planning and the, and the pathway of that player's career and trying to get them as much as they can in the time that they've got um, so that when it, when it ends, they have a little bit of breathing space to, to figure out how, what it is they want to do next.
4: I think you make some great points that I think really agents in general do get a lot of stick um but I think a lot of the time it is understanding that actually they are just trying to support their client in this case as best as they can and but often we get we get the we get the negative criticism that comes with it, and you know is the agent just trying to get a an, an extra bit of uh, an extra couple of zeros on their paycheck. So, you know, how, how, how do you balance that? What's the kind of, you know, obviously having been through a similar experience to that, have you had any difficult conversation with players where they feel like you're actually just looking out for yourself more than, you know, them? And, you know, have you had any challenges where maybe you've had to try and really justify how you are looking out for the player and, uh, you know, without um, naming it? Yeah, so. I know what
3: you mean. I, I think I was, I was lucky that... Um... My approach was always uh, one where I didn't want to be so you can you can if you're not careful, you can be exactly like you can be chasing your paycheck and not actually paying attention to what's right for the player because if he goes to club A, it earns you 50 grand. If he goes to club B, you only get 25 grand, for example. Sure. but actually when you look at it on paper, club B is actually the right place for that player. And you know, I would sit down and go through the pros and cons of each club with the player. And hopefully, that player would have three or four different options for him. And it would be up to him to choose. It wouldn't be up to me to choose for him. I'll have got him the options and I'll have and I'd go through the pros and cons, but ultimately it needed to be his choice as to where he went, not mine. The bonus for me was hopefully any any one of these three or four clubs I'd get paid. Um, but you know. When you're starting out, it's difficult not to fall into the trap of or get paid more if I push in there. Mm. Um, you've got to look at the longer-term effects of your the business on you because if you push players constantly into the wrong club, it's going to affect you. But also that player, if you push him into the wrong club, his career could could end up being over in three, four years' time.
4: Mm.
3: So it, it's always has to, it's got to be about the best interests of your clients. That's how I... That's how I wanted to be treated as a player. So that's how yeah. I wanted to treat players when I was an agent.
4: Definitely. Now, you know, one of one of the real key things I really wanted to kind of discuss with you, you know, on, on this conversation was um, much more about your current role and, and how 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 that looks. And obviously, prior to moving out to the states and doing the work that you're doing now, you obviously you mentioned there in the top of the conversation you was at Stoke City. For for a number of years just just talk us through it because obviously you know in the last 10 years maybe 15 max it's become a really big thing now around you know this idea of the role of a technical director what exactly does a technical director do for those that maybe aren't aware or haven't got enough insights around that you know what 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 does that look like and obviously i know every club might operate differently but there is probably you know there's probably some generic roles and responsibilities that might be covered within that if you like
3: So, you're absolutely right. Each club will be um, slightly different. So, uh, some clubs will have less emphasis on looking over the medical department and more emphasis on recruitment. Um, You know, some clubs will have the the manager reporting potentially directly into the owner, not the sporting director. Um, So, it depends on each each club's setup. But basically, the, the, the best way to describe it. Is that person is the chief executive of the sporting side. So he's the sort of middle cog and around that middle cog you would have things like recruitment, sports science, uh, medical, coaching, academy, women's football, the whole works and it's his responsibility to make sure that as a whole the wheel is spinning properly and working and functioning together well enough. The, the bits that are highlighted most prevalent are obviously recruitment. You know but it, it, the job is so much more than that um, but that, that is that is part of it and, and with football recruitment is the key negotiations the key you know the knowledge of the the world is also priceless and I think that's where you know the the sporting director fits in shows his strengths um, and and tries to to build a club so that you know you have a succession plan of players coming from the academy through to the first team so that ultimately you don't have to spend ten million pounds on a right back because you've got one coming through the system. Now there may need to be a plan in place to get that player there, and it could involve a loan or it could involve other things. But you still have to have that in place.
4: Sorry, the question that the question that will come to people's minds, um, probably for a lot of people when it comes to that sort of thing, is understanding actually, well, what does the manager do then? Yeah, the manager's not role responsible not to be looking at those sorts of things, looking at what players potentially bring through, looking at what players to bring in? And how much of a conflict or a challenge is it then for you to maybe have your role and, and then potentially be battling against maybe what the manager wants? And, you know, obviously, if that's the person that you brought in to do the job and run the, run, run the team, if you like, um, yeah. I, I, you know, finding the right balance must be quite challenging at times.
3: Um, I think not really, because for me, and I was suggest probably 99.9% of sporting directors, certainly when it comes to players, the whole process starts with the manager. So the manager has to say what he wants. And you can sit down and you'll look at the team, you'll see where it's unbalanced, you'll, see, you'll both know where the weaknesses are, and the conversation will be around what do we need. Now, it's the manager that ultimately says, right. I need a right back or I need a left winger. These are the, the KPIs that we have in place for that position. The sporting director and the recruitment team then go and find the options that fit into the club's budget, salary structures, and then they go back to the manager with that list of players. And hopefully, there's four or five that fit into what he's wanting. And again, that we spoke about, you go through the pros and cons of each player, and then the manager has the final decision on which one comes in. So, in in between the whole, whilst that process is going on, the manager can still focus on his team, the next game training sessions and every, and managing the squad because, you know, we, we talk about personalities and egos and everything. Managing 25 or 30 different egos and personalities isn't easy, you know, and the manager has to do that as well. So, you know, they have a huge amount of responsibility to do without extra pressure being lumped on them.
4: Yeah, so that's always interesting about a question was about to be next. So would you say that, the, that your role is much more about streamlining the roles and responsibilities of the manager? To make it a bit more yeah, it, and specific around what their what their role might what their day to day responsibilities might be.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, they've been brought in to coach the team, to manage the team, win games, develop players. That's you know, if you then start adding on top of that recruitment, which you know, and having a thousand calls from agents every week, uh, having to try and go and see games and do all that, it's just now on impossible. They won't be able to concentrate fully. On the job at hand which is as we say it's coaching the team it's managing the team um it's making that the best it can be so the the sporting director is really there to like you say to help them to give them the best opportunity they can have to make that team the best it can be
4: definitely no, okay so let's let's talk about that then obviously you know a large part of this is obviously collaborating with the manager or the head coach whoever that may be um but then you know my assumption would be is there's a lot of there's a lot of leadership aspects of, of, of the role in you know maybe just talk to us a little bit about that what in terms of the leadership, what what that potentially looks like, especially from your experiences, um, what that's looked like on a day-to-day and how you know what maybe some of the key things that you've picked up over the years around leadership management from that side of things because um I think when we first got into contact she was also delivering on the pro license or sorry the, the ten yeah. that's recently come out in the last couple of years. Um so it'd be really interesting yeah. to get a bit more insight around that element of stuff and what and, and maybe a bit of insight around what the course is about.
3: Yeah, no, sure. Well, the the course um, itself is trying to give uh, the individual technical director the tools that he or she needs to to do the job. And part of that is, um, you know, leadership, knowing yourself, knowing how to lead others. Um, Can you build a high-performing team? There's various modules, uh, negotiation. You know, there's all sorts of modules that it's based on. Um, But yeah, you know, listen, leadership in... In anything is key and it's knowing how to you've got to be able to manage upwards in terms of the board you've got to be able to manage sidewards in terms of the manager and, and everybody else and then you've got to be able to to manage you know everybody else that's underneath you so it's it's um you know it's about understanding yourself as much as it is about understanding other people you know you've got to be able to know what your Trigger points, what are your flash points, and how do you get through them to keep keep situations calm and and even?
4: Yes, just just on that then, you know, because I, I I totally agree with you. I think initially, it's not just it. Obviously, you're talking about the content of a level five course that run by the FA, but I think just generally across the board, whether you're starting off as a coach, whether you're a physio, whatever that might be, I think it's really important to have that underpinning of knowing yourself. Yeah, that sense of sense of self awareness to understand what your values are, what your beliefs are, what you know, what's what's uh something that is non-negotiable for you and, and so on and so forth so you know it would be really interesting maybe for you to share if you've got any particular questions or kind of tasks or, or processes that you maybe want or encourage people to go through to kind of get to the point where they start to get awareness on those things because i think it's not talked about enough especially in the early stages of most people's coaching journeys and, and i guess if you reflect back on your coaching your playing journey even maybe if someone had given you some, some guidance or some uh, some advice around asking yourself certain questions that you might have had a better understanding of what it is you wanted to do at the back end of your career, maybe.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, you know, we go back on it. Agents weren't prevalent when I was playing, so you had nobody really there apart from an older player to, to talk to. Um, you know, back then it was, oh, go and buy a pub and run a pub or, you know, whatever. What whatever was going on there? I think... Um, in today's age, and certainly on a lot of the FA stuff, you know, we, we do profiling sessions. So each candidate goes through their own spotlight profile and, you know, th- there's key questions that are asked and, and clubs have, you know, sports uh, psychologists now that can talk to players and, and ask key players and be able to give a report back to the management staff and to the, the board to say, look, this, this player is this type of personality. He will react in this way, but he will react badly if you, you know, absolutely give him a rollicking in the dressing room, in front of everybody, you're better off pulling him to one side. So I think today, in today's society, these um, spotlight profiles are more prevalent. So you can have a much greater understanding of yourself and also then the people that you're working with. Um, And I think it's it's amazing how accurate they are. You know, you can be the most um, non-believer, and then you could take it and you'll sit there and you'll get the report and you'll just be sat there going, Crash, that's me. You know, how how the hell did they get that from asking me, you know, what would I do in this situation? It's just yeah. it's mind-boggling.
4: No, it is. I remember I remember going back about someone to say honestly, about four or five years ago. I I'd done one with an organization called Luminous Spark. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. No. Um, and it it was through the lma uh the, you know they put us on this workshop and then off the back of it they gave you like a you know like a 40 page uh, document and i was thinking everything it says in here as it is as if this person has been watching me for the past five years yeah. <laughs> it's quite incredible and i think it just goes uh, it goes goes to really highlight the fact that actually a lot of this stuff is research-led
3: yeah
4: um yeah. you know and the uh, yes, there's going to be anomalies to certain things, but it's research led. So then, you know, it's not going to lie. (laughs) It is what it is.
3: And And, and if a coach knows what his personality is like, he knows what...
0: um... You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast.
3: his strengths and weaknesses are. He also knows when his strengths are going to become weaknesses and so on and so forth. And he'll also have a better idea then of understanding of how to de- deal with other personalities and other types of people. And also the type of people that he needs to work with him. Because mm-hmm. don't forget, as, as the head coach, you've got to have a strong team around mm-hmm. you. Not, not just yes men. You know, yeah. you need people that can can agree with you, can challenge you, that can help you as well. You know, it's uh, and the best the best managers, the best coaches that I've seen are people that have good, strong people around them, not just people that are going to say, Oh, yeah, that's that's the right yeah, thing. No,
4: I think it's spot on. I mean, I think back to one of the times, you know, one of the most pivotal moments in my coaching journey in particular, where I saw maybe an accelerated growth of development for myself. And that was when I actually had a particular person that was working alongside me who was, you know, we had the same ideas in terms of the outcomes we're looking for but we had a very different way of wanting to get there. Um, and I think what I really learned in that is that actually, you know, for me, I'm more, I'm more focused on the outcome rather than the process. If yeah. the process is working, it's cool. I'm, I, even if it's not necessarily the process that I would follow, um, yeah. then I'm okay with that. Uh, whereas he was, he, he was kind of similar to that. And although we were both going from the same way of working, it was almost like, okay, that allowed me to feel like, okay, I, I like learning on the job. If you like, so I like to observe, I like to watch, and I always, always letting other people bring their ideas to the table. Um, so it was a great opportunity for me to say, "Okay, well, we know, we, we know, we've got an agreed outcome. We know the, you know, the collected goals that we've got in place. Let's see how you can do it." Yeah, um, and then we kind of work together and collaborate on how and how we get there. And I think that's really important. So I guess, you know, just on that, then, how important is it, or, or rather, better yet. Not everyone's going to have the opportunity to go and do some psychological profiling and get all these, these you know these, these statistics or these or this these pieces of data. So what you know what what would you say are some good variables to look out for when you are maybe looking to see right who am I who am I going to be effective at working with, or better yet, what what what's some of the self reflection that you could maybe do as as an individual? Do you think?
3: Yeah, I think well if if you look back there, you know your outcome based. You want to get there. And, you know, like, say, so, so maybe you need to work with somebody who's very process driven. OK, we want to get there now. How do we get there? You know, and know they, they look into the, the granular detail of what that process is. And maybe, you know, the two of you would work very well together because you both know where you're going, but he whilst you may be a bit more fluid about how you get there he can also put the steps in place so you know should you need them so right. it's, it's again it's it's take a step back and reflect and look at yourself and say okay how do I react under pressure how do I react when everything's going well uh how do I deal with adversity you know how have I dealt with the good times the bad, you know all that and look and just sort of figure out yourself you can you know you can tell yourself whether you're an extrovert, an introvert, you know, whether it's a facade that you have to put on or whatever, you, you'll you know yourself. And, and then again, you know, once you do that, have a look at the people around you, your friends, because, you know, they're the people that you can work well with straight away. You know, you already know them. So what are their personality traits? How do you interact with them? And that will give you, I guess, a better understanding of the types of person you can work well with. You know, if you don't work well with blunt in your face type of people then don't surround yourself with them you know don't put yourself under that pressure make sure you put people with you that are going to work with you in the right way
4: no, no i think that's a, that's a re- really good way to look at it but then on the flip side you know some of us are thrown into situations where we're having to work with people who we're not necessarily compatible with if you like for mm-hmm. lack of a better way of describing it so well, yeah, how much you know obviously you know you do not you're, you're going to try and get into blows with anyone or anything like that but You've really got to be mindful about how, how you're impacting on other people as well, not just how they're impacted on you. And I
0: oh,
3: think- I, I, absolutely. And I think there's a, you know, again, it'll go back to your ethics and your, your, your morals, you know, on how you deal with certain situations and conflict and, and, and everything else. And sometimes it's better um, to step away. And, and think things through and write things down and put you know, a proper case together um, of why something isn't working or how it's not working than being blunt and abrupt and, and aggressive about things. So you know, I, personally, I, I'm somebody that will sit, listen, take a step back, you know, put everything down, um, whether it's a good outcome or a bad outcome. You know, I will then prove why we need to go in a certain direction or not in a certain direction. Now, sometimes you can't avoid the conflict and you have to be capable of of having the the interaction in a non-aggressive way, even though you know it is it's a it's a very adrenaline hormone filled, you know, environment. But if you want to get to the top, you've got to be calm as much as you can.
0: So I
4: guess on that then, you know, what 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 are some of the do you have any strategies or things that you do? As an individual, that you know that help you to stay calm, then because obviously you know we're we're in a game or just in sport in general. I think it can be quite emotional, can be you know roller coasters of emotions, as as they say. Um, you know what what do you do as an individual to kind of keep yourself level headed, if you like?
3: Um, I think I used to go boxing, so that that was a that was a good way of of getting um. Certain things. So I think for me, it was just it was about getting getting the frustrations out Mm. outside of outside of where you were. So when I first um, finished playing, you know, I I did um, I bought an old Porsche nine four four for like six hundred pounds, stripped it out, put a roll cage in it, and I used to go and thrash it around the, the the like Donington Park and places like that. That gave me the 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 sort of thrill the the venting that I needed you know when I was frustrated and then obviously I did the boxing but you know it, for me it's a case of okay if can you talk your way through nicely through a situation uh, you know and you've been in contract negotiations that are starting to turn a bit ugly and sometimes you have to say you know let's uh, take a bit of time out or you know, if there's two or three of you in a room, it's can you become the the mediator? Let's calm things down a little bit, uh, and sometimes you just need to take a break and, and walk away from the situation and come back to it a bit later on. So, it's trying to figure out which one you need at that moment in time and uh, and, and move forward from there.
4: No, I appreciate that. No, obviously, you know, you, you know, you had your time at uh, Stoke. How would you say that the role has differed from what it was there to what it is now then?
3: Um. I think it's become more encompassing. So, you know, when I when I first started Stoke, it was purely focused on trying to improve various aspects of, of the first team environment. Um, and then as, as the years went by, it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And, it grew. Um, and I think where it's at now is, you know, you've got um, a lot of, I would say probably 90% of Premier League clubs have got uh, sporting or technical director, championship, same league one league two clubs and you know and, and that person is there really to look at the short medium and long-term future of that club. you know the short term is clearly you've got to win the games, you've either got to get promotion the medium and long term are the strategies about developing players, the structures that are needed and the processes that are put in place.
4: just on that you know it, it, how much influence is that person then expected to have on the appointment of a manager?
3: well again it depends on the club you know in in most of the roles um they have a very strong influence but the owner still wants to be the one making the final decision um and you know but they've got to so they, they need to have an influence because ultimately this person they're going to be working with very closely and if you know if you're if you're choosing the wrong person from the start then it's going to affect everybody and it's it's never going to work. So they they need an influence, but ultimately, I think where it's at at the moment is, you know, the owners will still want that input. We're not we're not like Europe, where they will have the final say. You know, it's uh, we're we're still very much we're sort of still in between the model of Europe and England.
4: Now, you've had a range of different experiences, both as a coach agent. Now, obviously, working in technical director, you know, what would you say has been, has been some of the biggest lessons that you've picked up along the way um, and maybe things that you'd like to reflect on and say, do you know what, had I done this instead of that, I probably would have got a lot more success there. Um, initially as a coach, secondly as an agent, and obviously now working in the technical director space or sort the of sporting director space, there it, have been times where you think, do you know what, actually I could, I, that could have been managed differently? Or... Yeah, I think... Something's really come up in this. Now you all of a sudden had that light bulb moment if you like.
3: Yeah. I think this, I mean, um everybody, whether it's the coach, whether it's the sporting director, whether it's you know, everybody makes mistakes at some point in their career. And you know, it in football it'll cost you your job, you know. Um, and it's 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 having the I guess the humility to step away and reflect and go, yeah. I shouldn't have done that, or I could have done that. Handled that situation a bit better, rather than, you know, confronting somebody or trying to take take on the trying to put out a fire that didn't need putting out just yet. I should have left that alone. I did. I tried to do too much, or I didn't do enough. Um, it, it's, you know, it's hard to sort of say um, because there's been many sort of defining moments where you take a step back and reflect. And go yeah I wish I'd have done that or I should have done that differently and it's it's the I think it's the ability to be able to look back and go I, I made that mistake. So how would I do it different? If I come across that next time, how would I do that different? So it's learning from that reflection really that's the key point.
4: And it, I guess more so really what I'm hearing you say is obviously over time it's more becoming more self-aware and actually taking more responsibility and accountability for everything that's happened in the past and not necessarily, Looking for things that could have changed and would have changed, but actually, maybe focusing on the things that maybe were within your power, your control. Rob, oh, this could have been different. or that could have been different. And I, and I think I think that's really important. So I guess the question is: Do you think do you think it's possible to get to that point at an earlier stage in someone's journey um, through proactive behavior changes, or do you think it's just something that we you know we all have to go through at some point, and uh, that we get to a point and, okay, now we now we're more mature because we've been through something.
3: that makes Uh, sense. Yeah, I know I think the coaching courses now are teaching play coaches, players about reflection, you know, being having that ability. So I think anybody can do that. You can do that whether you're 18 or whether you're 50. You know, so I think that's a vital component now of the coaching courses that you have to be able to self-reflect and and you know digest yourself a little bit. So I think anybody can do that. So you can get to a certain point of self-awareness without having to go through all the the problems along the way. The problems along the way will always help you, of course, because you can sit back and reflect on what went wrong, why it went wrong. It might not have been your fault, but you could have handled something slightly differently. Um, So experience is always vital, but you you don't have to be um, blind to what's going on around you and walking into a situation with your eyes closed, you know, it's, uh, you can do a lot to help yourself, I think.
4: No, I, t- I totally agree with that. I think it, 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 you're right, the coaching courses definitely have uh, put a lot more emphasis on the ability to, for individuals to self-reflect, and, you know, there are some real key questions, and especially when it comes to now, uh, uh, and I'm sure this is probably not too dissimilar to what it would be on, on, on the technical director's course, in Reflecting not only on you on the individual themselves, but also reflect on the actions and the behaviors that they're carrying out, and actually making sure they have a rationale and justification as to why they behaved in that way, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, it makes sense.
4: Yeah, yeah. and I think that that piece is really key. So I guess, you know, speaking on self-reflection and you know self-awareness, you know, you've been through a range of different roles yourself. Now, initially as a coach, then obviously the agency, now doing the director stuff. How Rather, what would your advice be or what would what would be something that you'd maybe wish you could, you know, if you could go back in time and have a conversation with Mark Cartwright stepping out in stepping out of the pro game and going into the world of coaching, going into the world of being an agent and now in the director space? What would be some of the some of the messages that you'd want to pass on to yourself?
3: Um work harder, um work cleverer, you know, so as tough as it sounds
4: uh, assess that though
3: well you can make yourself a busy fool can't you you can oh. you can put yourself into areas that you don't need to be in you know so and you've got good people working with you that should be focusing on all that so you know sometimes you don't need to be all encompassing you know you have to let people good people get on with their jobs just as much as you want to be allowed to get on with your job mm. so it's it's let them let people get on with their jobs and be there them when they need you, you know. Um so work harder. I mean, I was told that I was actually told on my 17th birthday I'd never play football again. Um because I'd had a, a bad knee injury and and at the time, you know, I was really down, depressed, not not depressed, but really down, you know, upset about it. That's it. My career's over before it's even started. I think back in that day, you know, you got five grand for uh, from the PFA for, you know, finishing through injury and all this sort of stuff. And what are you going to do with that? Um, and then I, the part of me just clicked and said, "Right, I'm going to prove them wrong. So I worked incredibly hard to get through that, to, to get fit, to play. And ultimately, you know, I then got to the point where I became a first-team player. Um, at that point, if I could now go back into the past and, and see myself then, I'd say, right, you've done the hard work, but you've got to work even harder now. Um, because I think I got there and, and relaxed.
4: Yeah, and I, th- I think you make a great point there because you know there's a few players that I'm working with at the moment, and some of them are in clubs at the moment, and I'm you know supporting them in different ways. And one of them recently um, was given a comment to say, you know, I think that's the hardest we've seen you, you work since we've had you on on the on, on the books, and we've had you for three years now. And you know, I think it's also managing expectations, and I think you can also, you can almost become a victim of your own success in some ways in that once you now raise the bar. Yeah, right. standard. Also, the expectations and everything just goes up with it. So now, mentally, you have to prepare yourself for the fact that actually you might not get to that bar again, and if you do, that's just going to be accepted as a norm. It's not going to be, it's not going to be outstanding anymore. It's not going to be an exceptional anymore. You've now have, you've set a new standard for yourself, and I think, I think for a lot of people, whether you know as a player or a coach or whatever that might be, and whatever whatever walk of life you're in, it's that fear almost and that danger of ah, if I do set the bar here. Now I'm going to have. To, now I'm going to be expected to keep it there. Yeah. So you know, I guess. Did you ever? Did you ever feel that? Now, obviously, you, know, you said you aren't going to prove them wrong. You've then gone on to become a pro. Yep. And I think. Oh God. I've set myself another journey now. So again, start so again from scratch. Now I'm going to have the next next lot of critics or the next lot of people holding me back, and you know what? How do you deal with that? How'd you come up, you know, obviously, you know, there's, you can say, well, you've got to kind of stay focused and and, all the cliche things that you can say, but what does that actually look like on a day to day?
3: I think it's, um, it's continuing to try and maintain the standards that you set yourself. Mm. If you set your standards low, then you're never going to get beyond a certain level where you are in in life. If you, set your standards and you keep trying to raise your standards and better yourself and learn more, become more knowledgeable, then you'll get further and further down the line. And I think, so on on a daily basis, can you, can you learn something new? Can you, can you work that little bit harder, but not, you know, not in a silly way. Um, And I think so so that, that for me is something that I'd, I'd want to sort of say to myself. I also think when I finished playing football and I looked back and like I'm saying to you, you know now it's I got I worked incredibly hard to get to a point, and then I didn't have the support network around me to keep me to keep Ging me along or, or doing it. So, you know, as as my standards were slipping because I wasn't working as hard as I'd worked to get there, nobody was telling me, you know. And eventually, you you know you get moved on to another club, and then you you perk yourself up again, and the cycle begins again. And but when I came out of football, it was like right, I'm not going to allow that to happen to me again. So I am going to work as hard as I possibly can to make myself as the best I can in whatever career or stage of my career I'm at. So, and again, you, you, like you say, you can, you can also cause yourself problems. Cause at one point, you know, I'd be, <clears throat> I'd be in the club by half past six, 7am would go in the gym. I'd be there. I'd be the first one in the, up in the office, you know, and then one of the last to leave. And, you know, then, the moment you don't do it for the first time after about three or four years you get a phone call saying are well, you? Hey, is everything okay and like, well yeah i'm just on my way in what well, you know well you, you're normally here by now so again it's just you know learning to deal with all that and um maybe setting the maybe setting your level the moment you you get into something and but keeping your standards high
4: mm. no, i think i think i think you make a great point and i think it is just about keeping those standards high, but also assessing that constantly you know that those standards in order to be kept high, doesn't necessarily mean the behaviors will be consistent all the time because as the standards increase the behaviors also need to need to need to adapt adapt and develop as well so i guess i think that's really important important to kind of highlight there as well so just you know as we look to kind of uh, kind of round up then mark on the note of standards what are some of the things that maybe you think you know any any of the coaches or anyone listening to this podcast to start to think about implementing within their own day-to-days to kind of or any self-reflective tasks or questions that they might ask themselves around how they can actually make sure that they are pushing themselves you know setting the highest standards possible for themselves
3: uh, i think um you know like you say know who you are know where you want to to be how are you going to get there like you said you knew what you wanted to get to and how am i going to get there so it's setting yourself those Initially, it's setting yourself some achievable targets to get to and then then pushing yourself further and further and further. And ultimately, you'll get to a point where you go, "Okay, this is my level. Now I'm going to be the best I can be at at this level. I think you've got to have um, a good work-life balance as well, because I think that the... The pressures of the job, um, whatever level, as a coach, as a sporting director, technical director, you know, CEO, you know, they're they're vast. You know, the pressures on you are are huge. You know, and I I once, um, I worked with Mark Hughes, who was absolutely brilliant. Um, And I, and I thoroughly enjoyed my time working with him. And I once said to him, you know, look, mate, you are so calm, whether... We've just been smashed five 0 by Manchester City, or we've just beaten Manchester United two one. You're exactly the same. How do you, you know? How do you manage it? What what do you do? You know, and he came back and he just basically said, "Look, you know, I I keep myself at a level whether it's good or bad. You know, I, I maintain that level of calmness because I know that's what's good for him. You know, and I think that's a." That resonated with me because like we said before it can get very very emotional and it can that can be detrimental to your health sometimes you know with blood pressure or heart problems or whatever it is so you've got to have that ability to do that you've got to have the ability to to push yourself you've got to have the ability to try and stay calm and and you've got to have the ability to not let it become all all consuming you've got to be able to have that little step away you know whether that's You know, driving a car around a track, whether that's you know punching or boxing or whatever it is you want to do or golfing or you know you've got to have that ability to step away from it as well.
4: I think I think you make a great point there. I think you know no matter what role you're doing, um, it's it's one of them industries where it's just never ending and it can be Mm -hmm. all-consuming. You know, whether that whether you're working as a first-team manager or you know an academy coach or even even within grassroots, because you know. outside of those maybe working in full-time roles, a large, a large part of the people that work in the game are, are working very unsociable hours and usually working alongside another another nine-to-five or a full-on career elsewhere. So I think it's really important for kind of to understand that that work-life balance and just how important it is to kind of get there. Um, but then obviously that can become a real challenge when you're now trying to set yourself the highest standards in your career as well. You know, because... Uh, yeah, it, that,
3: then that ties back into why... My you know, why is a sporting director at a club? And it's to be able to help the coach and themselves because a football club is all-consuming, you know, whether that's, a, like you say, whether that's a grassroots level that plays on a Saturday or a Sunday, you know, whether that's a first-team level, that is, you know, and it's a multi-million pound, you know, it, it's about working together with people to, to achieve the same goals and you know but also at the same time making sure that you're you know you're not killing yourself whilst you're doing it
4: now there you go and i think you said it there perfectly i think it's just managing that work-life balance having a clear understanding of what it is that you're trying to achieve and how you're going to get there but also understanding when you need to take time out yeah um and how you and actually plan the time what does that timeout actually look like the, you know because there's, there's no point saying i'm going to take time i'm not going to go into work today but i'm actually going to spend the whole the whole weekend actually thinking about what i'm going to be doing when i get back into work on monday i think it's just yeah. being able to take that mental break and i think even for me now it, it's crazy that you know now that i think about it, i used to be a diehard fan i don't even watch football anymore <laughs> It's, it's, it's literally it's consumed all my life and i but sp- if i'm not coaching then i then i'm playing if i'm not playing then i'm talking I'm talking about coaching if i'm not coaching or talking about coaching then i'm mentoring coaches and if i'm not doing <laughs> then I'm doing something to do with the game so i, I yeah. i've just stopped watching the game um like and i think if i if i was to watch the game i'd probably i'd probably much more or you know, enjoy, going and watch the local under 15 side, play some grassroots football and get involved in what's happening in the Premier League as an example. Okay. So I think, it, I think it is just understanding, you know, what, what, what is that for you and what is the balance there? Um, and what, where do you need to kind of, you know, the same way you plan your journey within your career, plan the time that you're going to take away from it as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's some, there's some really, there's some really, really key bits that we've kind of touched on there, Mark. And you know, I just want to say thank you again for your time this evening. It's been really useful. Oh, and, it's a pleasure. Be. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure it'll give, um, a lot for the listeners to think about especially those that may be considering long-term potentially moving in the direction of becoming a sporting director or even potentially looking into becoming agents and i think that's it's become more and more prevalent that people are looking to explore avenues beyond coaching itself um so i think that'd be really useful but um just just on a final note then mark you know if there is any listeners of you you know um that i accessing this episode now if they've got any potential questions is there some way they could potentially follow up with you or anything like that
3: yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do, do they do they normally email them to you? I mean, you you've got my details. Yeah, so it's,
4: it's quite an open thing. I mean, some people prefer to, you know, just share their LinkedIn or whatever and get get direct messages or even just share share content or messages through myself as well.
3: Yeah, listen, I'm happy. You know, if people want to come through you, fire it across to me, or you know, if they want to search me out on LinkedIn, I'm more than happy with that. You know, it's. Uh, if I can help people with the, the right advice and the right words, then I'm, I'm more than happy to do that.
4: Awesome. I'm sure this episode definitely will do that, but um, thanks again, Mark, for your time. I really appreciate it. Um no worries. Take care. Take care, mate. Sick of being upsold at gyms.